0: Hello, and welcome to the All Things Narrative Podcast, where we explore the relationships between the stories we love and the stories we live. I'm your host, Derek Hatch, and let's get started. This is it, everybody. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe we are here. We are at December, the end of the year, and the final. All right, let me say that again. The final installment of our Narrative 101 series. So on the second Tuesdays of the month, ever since, all the way back to March, uh, I've been doing this series called Narrative 101, where we're really getting into the language and these uh, overlapping elements between the stories we love and the stories we live. And today is the final piece, the final installment in this series. So if you've heard uh, every episode, then I just want to applaud you and thank you. And if not, um, the episodes aren't going anywhere. So feel free to go and check out all the other pieces here. This last topic is something that I've been kind of wrestling with where to put it here. And I think because I kept putting it off, it ended up just being the final uh, piece here. It didn't really build off any of the others as neatly. If you uh, go through and listen to them all, there's kind of a progression to them. So this last piece is on deconstruction, which um, is a part of Jonathan Stillman's narrative principles. And so this is the final one that we haven't talked about yet. Deconstruction is a buzz term word that you might be familiar with. You might um, have heard it in different circles, different contexts. And so there is a a piece of narrative therapy where deconstruction um, is a part of that, right? And so... As you'll see um, in a little while, when I explain my story of deconstruction, I was already familiar with this term. So when I got into the the master's program at, at Dulwich in the University of Melbourne, it was kind of like, okay, like yeah, I'm I'm here, I'm vibing with you on this. So for those of you who don't know, uh, maybe what deconstruction is, and yes, it might sound like a scary postmodern term, and It is if it's taken in isolation um, without any reconstruction of sort, uh, which we'll talk about. But uh, Michael White gives a definition here of deconstruction uh, in his paper on the topic where he says that deconstruction has to do with procedures that subvert taken for granted realities and practices. Those so-called truths that are split off from the conditions and the context of their production. Those disembodied ways of speaking that hide their biases and prejudices and those familiar practices of self and of relationship that are subjugating of person's lives. In other words, because I know Michael White could be kind of wordy sometimes, if I understand him correctly though, there's this idea that we're all a part of these dominant narratives, um, particularly within our culture. And we just kind of are taken for granted our roles and our acceptance of these narratives. And these could be um, in institutions, it could be in cultures, it could be in families, it could be whatever. We don't realize that these things are having an effect on us. And there's uh, ways of being in the world where, and I, I like to call it cognitive dissonance, where maybe... We're holding a certain set of narratives over here, but we're fighting out of or for another set of narratives here. And there's something inside of us. There's something in us that just knows that we're off, that we don't have this sense of clarity that we're hoping for. And we are well aware that maybe there's even a contradiction of narratives that we're finding ourselves living in. And so deconstruction is kind of the journey of where we're going to kind of take these apart piece by piece. And we're going to really look at them. And we're going to really try to better understand them, better trace them back to their context, uh, figure out, how we came to believe them and why we believe them and if we still hold to them or not. Now, unfortunately, what I think tends to happen with deconstruction much of the time is we tend to pull all these pieces out, right? So like imagine you're playing Jenga and you know with Jenga, the idea of this is that you're going to take, you know, one of the blocks, one of the pieces out, right? And if you take out enough of those pieces, eventually the whole thing will fall down, right? And I think that's true of deconstruction as well, is if we take out all these pieces in and of themselves and don't do anything, then the whole thing will fall apart, which is why in Django what you're trying to do is take the pieces and you're trying to repurpose them. You're trying to move them to a different place. You're trying to stack them in some way. So that way what you're building can actually, although the pieces may not be uh, quote-unquote like how they used to be, they are building into something new. And that's why I think deconstruction always needs to be paired with reconstruction, that as we're taking things apart, we also need to be putting them back together, rebuilding off a, a foundation for our lives. And so it's this process of deconstructing and reconstructing, kind of going hand in hand together. And I think that's important because it's so easy for us to get kind of settled in life and in our thinking and in our ways and just kind of think, okay, you know, I've arrived, I've got everything figured out and it's all good. But as I've shared on here before, these different narratives, these different pieces, they are influencing our lives. And if you're not aware of what they are and how they came here and what influence they're having on you, then in my opinion, that's something to really be cautious about. Especially in this age right now where I argue that we are being influenced In so many ways that we are not conscious of through advertising, through the media, just through a variety of different ways. And we can hear something and think, oh, well, yes, that's all well and good and not take the time, the due diligence to research it, to trace the ideas um, back to their origins, back to their roots. And so for example, this is an episode that I'm probably not going to get any brownie points with anybody um with it. And I'm okay with that because this is a this is an important topic to talk about. And I know that those who are in more conservative circles, this might this might be something that you just kinda cringe at hearing this. And I, I, I just wanna invite you to stick with me um, because I think there is something of value here for you. At the same time, I know that. Ah, oh, man, can I just be transparent, you know, with 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 this stuff? Uh, i just I just really, really want to be transparent. So, so, for example, you know, there's somebody, uh, a French philosopher who is very influential in a lot of narrative thought in terms of narrative therapy, and his name is Michael Foucault. I think that's how you say his name. I came across something um really disturbing. And this is, you know, this is partially my fault. I I usually do a good job at trying to trace people's ideas. Um, and I didn't do it in this case. He's very influential when it comes to talking about uh, relationships of power, right? Well, I come to find out that there are things that we can kind of see from his life, from his thinking, um, even things that we know from other witnesses um, that seem to imply that he was interested and in a proponent of adults having uh, relationships like sexual relations with children. Now, for me, that is a huge taboo. That is a huge no no. I I don't condone that at all. And for me, the first kind of thought that I I had was like, well, this is this is terrible because you have somebody here who's a proponent of this idea of power and trying to address this abuse of power. But I think for me, in my convictions, that relationship, um, which is a very ancient idea, unfortunately, that goes back to ancient civilizations, it is this idea of power and dominance in terms of an adult over a child. And I think it's disgusting. And when I found out that, you know, this person held to this view, first of all, I was like, man, this is, this is just, a weird cognitive dissonance i don't know what you want to call it but you know it made me call into question like a lot of things like okay like if if this kind of thinking is a part of this these theories and these ideas you know then do i truly understand these ideas in all their fullness and i think that these kind of things can send shockwaves down to people when we start to start to realize things. So, you know, I know this happens a lot um, when we get older and we learn more about our country. And, and it's, I'm talking about in America, but it could be any country that you're living in. And you start to learn that there's a darker side to your history. You know, you really, the weight starts to set in of, you know, of what happened with like the trail of tears and native Americans, especially when you read their writings or, um, just, you know, the, the, the racism and, and the things that, that have happened um, in this country um, and all over the world, quite frankly. Uh, as, as a Christian in church history, this is a big one. Man, this was a huge one for me, which I'll talk about in a moment. But when I started to realize the ugly side of church history, and man, is it ugly, uh, it shakes you. And I think this is what leads to a lot of people deconstructing things, whether it's politically, socially, culturally, religiously, you start to realize that you don't know all that you thought you knew about a topic and you start to, it starts to really mess with you. It starts to really get in your head and you start to go, okay, where do I actually stand in relationship to this thing? And that's where the deconstruction process, I think, happens for a lot of people and is happening for a lot of, you know, particularly the millennial uh, for my generation. I do think that there is value in doing this, uh, in that it can cause you to really think and do your research and better understand what you believe and why, which I'm a huge proponent of. This is what I, what I try to do. And, you know, when I do like the web of identity, which I've talked about on here before, when I do that, there is an element of that deconstruction that's going on there because we're trying to look at, okay, who are the people, the institutions that have really shaped my life and what sort of ideas and beliefs about myself, about the world, about others, have I really inherited from that? And have I really thought through whether I truly believe in those things or not? But then also being able to reconstruct as well and being able to lean in to the things, to the influences and the parts of our story that were we're proud of, that we stand for, and being able to go deeper into those things as well. So we're not just trying to tear down, but we're trying to build up as well. So I think the best way to kind of talk about this uh, is to be transparent about my journey with, with deconstruction, and I'm going to use it in particular uh, when it comes to my faith. And I think it's a story that many people uh, are finding themselves in right now. And I want to just kind of speak to you about my experiences. And again, these are my experiences. This is my story. And I know that your experiences and your story might be different. And so, um, yeah, I just want to preface that in being able to to share this here. So my history with Christianity is that uh, I wasn't raised or born a Christian uh, I didn't come to a knowledge or understanding of Christianity till I was about 14 years old. And for the first couple of years that I was a Christian, I would, I, call, I would call myself a cardinal Christian deist. So um, I just kind of did whatever I wanted. I had some, you know, quote unquote, like fire insurance, like get me out of hell, want to go to heaven one day, that idea. But God is very distant and not really involved in my life. So that was kind of the perspective I had. Then uh, 16, Various series of Circumstances, I was an all in like born again, evangelical Christian, you know, think like Billy Graham, think like that whole subculture there and just super all in and very gung ho, um, evangelistic about my faith. And, you know, towards the end of high school and in my early and in my college years, I moved into like a more reformed Christian uh, background. So really leaning heavily, uh, on the tradition of the Reformation and the, the more like neo-Calvinist movement um, that's that's very prominent today. And then that continued until probably about 2014. And that was kind of when my first stage of deconstruction began, uh, when I moved out here to Florida and I found myself not really having what I had before in terms of ministry and church community and really realizing how much my faith was dependent on what I was doing. And so uh, I had a lot more time to think and to really, you know, my early Christian years was just a lot of like reading books, absorbing information, being like, yes, this person's on my team. So I'm with you and I believe you. So it was like, I'm constantly like, okay, I need to change my beliefs Uh, based on this prominent thinker or writer, because clearly they know more than I do. And so um, I just, you know, agreeing with them because they're a part of the club too. And once I started to really listen to other voices, even within Christianity, even people like C.S. Lewis, who— um, just had different perspectives on things than what I was hearing and just kind of going like, how yeah, this whole Christianity thing is a lot more complicated. There's a lot more diversity in these, uh, ideas, even though there's been, you know, some consistencies throughout church history, man, there's, there's, there's a lot, uh, a lot of different thought that's, that's gone through. And so that led me, um, to moving, uh, when we get to around like 2016 or so, um, around to maybe a more progressive uh, or liberal Christian uh, perspective on things. And just being able to, you know, I found a lot of freedom in that during that time because it was like, I didn't feel like I constantly had to adhere to something very strict. And it was a little more, it was more okay to like explore ideas uh, within those spaces. And I, I really appreciated that. And you know, with that, you know, when I look back on it, um, I wouldn't have said or admitted that, that was this was going on at the time. But you know, this 2016 to 2020, you know, this period of time um, where you had someone like Trump that was in office, and just a lot of uh, Christian nationalism that people were really um, riled up with, and just me kind of looking at a lot of things and just kind of being like, "Hmm, yeah, I, I, I'm not there. I'm sorry." That was playing a huge role in that deconstruction uh, and being able to say, hmm, am I really there? Am I really on this team? And I I, kind of moved away from the progressive Christian space and became more moderate when we get to about 2018, 2019. And just kind of finding these people who could pull the best of both sides and trying to create some sort of synthesis there. And then I got to 2020 and 2020 really shook me to the core in a lot of ways. And I I'm sure it did for many of you out there as well. Um, with the pandemic, um, with the increasing, uh, the racial hostilities that were going on, um, the election, my goodness, it was a packed year for sure. And it was, uh, shortly before that time, um, that I realized I had learned, and I know it's going to sound weird, but I, had learned um, there was an extent of uh, my family's my from my dad's side uh, going back to Jewish roots and me kind of realizing, oh shoot, what have I lost? And I kind of known this for a couple of years, but it, I was really starting to grasp the weight of it um, and really trying to learn more about this piece of my life that I felt like I never really got to experience. And there was just so much that I was wrestling through during this period that I actually started to wonder if I was even a Christian at all. Um, Again, especially looking at like this idea of you know, maybe what does it mean to be a Christian? And I'm like, okay, is that label? Is that identity? Is that something that I still really hold to? And maybe thinking, you know, things like, okay, maybe this thing that I believe in, like, do I just like only believe in it or like it because it, it's a part of, you know, Christianity. And I've kind of gone like, okay, well, if it's Christian, then I need to incorporate it. I need to believe in it. I need to support it. Uh, and then I started to think about my relationships in life. And I started to realize, oh my gosh, do people, my my friends, because keep in mind, most of, a lot of my friends and social group are Christians. And so I was like, oh my gosh, do people only love me because I attend their church? Do people only care about me because I'm a Christian? And- that really got to me. It really got in my head because I really started to wonder um, if it was my Christian identity, if that was the only thing that was making uh, me have the things and the life that I was having. And, you know, again, going back to reading, it's like, I was like, okay, am I reading this book uh, because I want some sense of confirmation bias, because I want to be told that what I already believe is true. Or am I really after the truth? Am I really ready to challenge myself in some way and really understand the other side? And that's one thing about my deconstruction is it definitely made me a more empathetic person. Is it as, And in trying to, and I think a lot of people don't do this with deconstruction, I really wanted to see all sides of an issue. And it made me very compassionate about people who feel and think differently than I do because I could start to say, okay, I could start to see, okay, I understand how you got here now. I may not agree with you, but I understand how you came to this perspective in your life. Add to all that the idea of being a quote-unquote professional Christian, which is where you're essentially in a job role where um, you're paid money, um, to continue to, to teach uh, your beliefs in a certain way and to basically be a model Christian uh, for people. And that, that was really weighing on me as well because there's this certain sense of like, okay, my job depends on my identity. It depends on a certain, or I should say a certain expression of my identity in a certain way. And that's why I was so scared to talk to a lot of people about how I was really feeling and what I was processing through. Because I'm like, man, my job, my career uh, in in ministry could be on the line. And I think a lot of people might feel that and connect with that as well. So I, I started to wonder after all this, like, okay, am I really maybe just like a humanist? Um, am I really just someone who really is just a champion of these values. And is 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 this whole God thing, have I made it up? And I really started to wonder if I have just deluded myself into believing in God. And so one of the things that I did, and I highly recommend people do this, is I wanted to write down what I actually believed, not trying to like appease anybody or trying to give it to somebody to try to show off what I know and what I believe, but something just for me to actually write down what do I actually believe about things. And as I did that over a period of time, adding to it, I started to realize, oh, I actually think I, I still might be a Christian of some sort. Now, there was a, there was a tradition um, in church history called Christian humanism that, uh, came, uh, at the dawn of the Renaissance and actually predates the reformation. And as I learned about that tradition, I kind of, there was a lot of things I was resonating with, um, cause I did feel a deep connection with humanism and I didn't even know there was such a thing as Christian humanism. And it's not just some postmodern, you know, smashing together of, of, Terms it it really was something that actually existed, and I started researching it. And I, it was a you know this idea of Christian humanism. It was a label that was very necessary for me uh, in that time period because I realized there was enough things that I was holding to that were still Christian, but I didn't think that was complete because when you say the word Christian, there's certain ideas that people have of what that means, right? And especially, again, with things that were going on culturally and in politics, I was kind of like, yeah, I, I'm i not quite there where I want to just say I'm a Christian and have certain assumptions made about me. So this idea of Christian humanism was really trying to kind of uh, take control of my narrative, so to speak. And it was profound because it was just like, I didn't have a place where I could really be open about these things and what I was thinking through. I mean, like I would have days where I would teach students the Bible and I would just go in my office, close the door, and I would just start crying because I'm just like, I don't know where I actually stand on this and I don't know who I could talk to about it. And I talked to my wife. I did end up talking to my wife about it. She was so supportive. And uh, my former uh, youth pastor, all the way back from high school, Um, that I still was connected with and he turns out he was going through his own deconstruction as well and was there therefore super helpful to talk through with this but then something happened where I got I used to do a podcast called life in the gray uh, with one of my dear friends Luther and Luther I, I Luther and I had not really talked about this and I really wanted to him to be one of the first people that I kind of shared this journey with. But you know, I'm kind of a theatrical person, which <laughs> can get me into trouble sometimes, as you'll see, because I was like, why don't we have this conversation on the podcast and then release it? And it'll probably be our best episode yet. And it, it it is, I think, the best, um, in terms of its performance episode that we had ever done because we called it Am I Still a Christian? Um, and it blew up. Uh it got a lot of attention. Um People were very supportive and saying, wow, thank you like for sharing your journey and being transparent. But I got a lot of other attention as well uh, from my social circles. And here's the thing, I was expecting the worst. I was like, oh my gosh, I might get fired. I might no longer um, get to teach as part of this church and I might lose friends and all that stuff. And this is interesting. This is an interesting thing as well, because I had all these assumptions about people that I thought I knew how they were going to react to this. And 80 to 90% of my assumptions were wrong. People were so kind and caring and compassionate, even though the majority of them did not at all agree with what I was saying the way they had reached out and just wanted to connect and wanted to better listen to my heart and hear how I'd come to this journey. And it was so moving, so moving. I really thought it was gonna go in a different direction. And there's many of you out there that I'm sorry because it probably has gone a different direction. And you, maybe you did lose relationships and friendships and family. Maybe you did get fired. Maybe you lost something very valuable, a community that you belong to. And I'm so sorry. I, I really am. Because I, I got... I got a taste of something so beautiful. And this definitely gets into the DNA of all things narrative because I want to, I don't want anybody to have to feel isolated that they can't talk to anybody and that if they do, they're going to lose it all. There is a reality that there are going to be people, because not everybody that I shared this with was, you know, there, there, were, there was some pushback and there was some really hard stuff that happened. And there were people calling into, people who had known me for years who were calling into question my character because they thought I had been lying. And they didn't see the complexity of what was going on. And there were some very hurtful things that I had heard. So I don't want to act like it was all good Because it was tough. And I'd have some really hard conversations uh, with people. And I had to tell certain people who I really cared about, I felt like I couldn't tell you this because I thought that you you wouldn't love me. You wouldn't accept me if this was my journey and my story. With, uh, With Richie, he was one of those people that I didn't really tell these things to. Despite being, you know, working with him in ministry and being a part of his teaching team. Now, he always knew I was a little different and uh, a little more of that challenger in my thinking, but he didn't know the extent of it. And I, I really felt like I was not a good friend in, in telling him. He didn't make me feel that way at all, but I started to feel it and I started to realize that I wasn't letting people in how can I expect people to let me into their lives when I'm not letting people in? And his, the way he walked with me and journeyed with me through all this, it was so beautiful. It's amazing that I still got to, to teach and have influence in this community. And I think part of that might be because By the time a lot of this stuff had come out, there was a lot of things that I was already reconstructing. And I was starting to be vocal about what I was reconstructing. Um, And... There were certain thinkers that were really helpful in this reconstruction, and I started to realize, you know, like Luther was getting into the Eastern Orthodox tradition, which he's still a part of, and that tradition has been very helpful in reconstructing my faith, and thinkers like Jonathan Pajot, uh, and even people like uh, like Jordan Peterson, who helped me kind of like go, okay, there's more to the Bible than just this kind of narrow, dogmatic, literal view of everything, and there was a like a capital T truth so to speak in how i was starting to understand these stories that was so deep and moving to my being to my soul that i realized oh i still do believe these stories and what they mean and what they stand for and i do want these things in my life i just got so hung up on the uh the the thinking you know the 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 theology the doctrine the you know the the kind of things that uh, can trip you up and the intellectualizing of it all, so yeah, and there were people, and there were just lots of people who just uh wanted to just kind of be a part of this deconstruction reconstruction, and mostly it was on the reconstruction end. I think I had done by the time all this had come out, which was in like mid twenty twenty one I was kind of tired of tearing everything down. I was really hungry to rebuild, and what's funny? What's so funny about what happened is there's certain beliefs that I've actually come full circle back to, but instead of just taking them at face value, I actually have done the hard work to kind of say, okay, I know why I stand on this idea now. And yeah, it's funny because I've just, I've started to realize how much of my thinking had been influenced by culture and media and even just people, whether it's just, you know, oh, I look up to this person and they're saying this, so I'm going to agree with them. Or, oh, I really don't like this person and what they're doing. And, oh, this is the identity they say they are. This is what the group they affiliate themselves with. Okay, I'm, I'm not there. And once I got past all that, and believe me, it's hard work to get past that. But once I started to really explore these ideas and apply them to my life directly. Then I started to really have something. I really started to see what I believe in. So you might be wondering, well, where do you stand on on faith and all that stuff right now? Well, if you have listened to this podcast, I've definitely talked about God and, and mentioned the Bible and stuff. So I definitely um, identify myself within the, the Christian uh, tradition. Um. There's people who use that term and there's ways that that is used that I don't agree with in terms of what Christianity can stand for. In terms of Christianity, the, the system of beliefs, right? But at the core of it, uh, when we talk about Jesus, we talk about who he is. And um, I think the essential of Christianity is really, you know, believing that God through, uh, through his spirit can change us. Uh, into my into the image of Christ, that we can become more like Jesus, uh, with the kingdom of of God, like right here on earth, right, and being called into something greater than yourself. That still resonated with me even through all this. And that journey and being a part of a community of people that are like, yeah, we're all on this journey too. We want this. To be with people who are like, yeah, let's grow. Let's push each other to be better. And having Jesus uh, as kind of that, that, that standard that we're all striving to be like, knowing we're not alone, knowing that there is something divine um, with the spirit of God actually moving us and helping us to become like that. I mean, it's beautiful. It's beautiful at least for me, it's it's incredibly uh, beautiful. And knowing that we don't have to do that alone and creating spaces for people who are deconstructing and trying to figure out where they stand on their faith and their beliefs and trying to make sense of their experiences. I've also had a lot of experiences that have kind of really helped keep my faith going and the more I think about those experiences and me trying to deconstruct and analyze them, just looking at them all together, it was very hard for me to see it as anything else other than um, what we, you know, what we call God actually moving and doing something in my life and being in tune with um, with the spiritual and wanting that for my life. So yeah, I mean, you know, um, if it isn't obvious, you know, I, I'm, I'm still part of a church, you know, um, all things narrative. We actually, um, so one of the things I actually do is I work with, uh, my, my church and I actually, um, am establishing the youth group there, uh, with all this narrative stuff, um, that we're doing and really helping them to understand the narrative of the Bible. Cause that's a whole other conversation I could have about how I just think a lot of people don't understand the Bible. Um, And I think that's where a lot of the deconstruction could kind of happen and come from. And realizing that there is um, lots of tradition and lots of thought that's gone into how we understand the Bible um, and trying to break out of our kind of 21st century American Western, uh, that, that kind of way of seeing the Bible and seeing God and seeing faith and looking at it from a more global historical uh, perspective um, has been incredibly helpful. And I try to help young people to do that and to connect. Kind of like what happened for me is like seeing how these stories of the Bible, how the themes overlapped and connected with my story and being able to help uh, people to see that as well. Uh, To be able to see like, wow, like when I read this, this story or hear this parable or whatever it is, there is something that deep within me that resonates, um, that I want to experience that for my life. Yeah, and and still being able to teach and be a part of this community as well, um, trying to provide context to people because I do think that we have a huge lack of context. And I think, um, you know, that's one of the things that I appreciate about deconstruction is if you do it a certain way, you're going to want to better understand the context of everything. And we shouldn't just take things at face value. We should a- explore and research and understand. And you know, and this works on all sides too. I think it, it's, it's on all sides, whether you're on the left or on the right, whether you're liberal or conservative. I think there's narratives that both sides perpetuate that I just want to encourage you to really dive deeper and to really question if, you know, if that narrative is true. And for you to really explore and examine and research it. And don't just take someone at face value um, and just say, because people say a lot of stupid things. I say stupid things. Um, We say things that, you know, we we might change our perspective on later, but we're so influenced and we need to be aware of how influenced we are. And it's funny because, uh, I'm sorry if you don't like this, but I actually started to realize that I was a lot more conservative a person than I thought I was. You know, especially with my ideas about government because I believe in a more limited government and government that's more local rather than government that's bigger and has more control over our lives. So it's like I started to realize like, oh wait, this is this is actually what I think and I think I'm just mad at people who believe in this thing too. And, you know, there were even certain things within Christianity that were like that as well, as I was like, you know, oh yeah, I really do believe in the the narrative of the gospel. I just get mad that so many people um, use and abuse that narrative for money and profit and hypocrisy and all that stuff. Yeah, because it could be really hard to separate ideas from people and people from ideas. And yeah, that's why, again, like knowing, taking the time to do this is so helpful And it was so clear to me that this is what I was doing. I was just mad. I was mad at people. I was just so frustrated. And then so much so that I was actually willing to change my ideas to align more with people who I thought were more like me and more reasonable, which is incredibly, um, you know, I, I understand now how I got there. But there's something about it too that was just like, man, it's easy to slip into that. I'm kind of starting to rant a little bit here. Um, So I'm going to kind of start to wind this this down. And I just want to close with this. Uh, It's another Michael White quote uh, where he says, Just as with texts in reference to life as lived, the stories that persons live by are full of gaps and inconsistencies. And as well, these stories constantly run up against contradictions. It is the resolution of these gaps, inconsistencies, and contradictions that contributes to a certain indeterminacy of life. It is these gaps, inconsistencies, and contradictions that provoke persons to engage actively in the performance of unique meaning, or as Bruner would have it, in meaning making. So I believe that based on this quote, that when we recognize that our narratives are filled with these these contradictions and inconsistencies and we start to realize that and we press in, there is a form of meaning making, of I should say finding meaning that we're doing because we're trying to make sense of our lives and we're trying to say, what does it all mean? What does it mean for me to live a meaningful story? And so if you are in that state where you're recognizing these things, I know people might say that, that, oh, you know, there's something wrong with you or they might judge you for it. But this could actually be the pathway towards you finding a greater level and depth of meaning in your life. Because if you do, go into this, and you really take the time to reconstruct as well, then I do believe that you will come out a stronger person and a stronger protagonist, a more active protagonist in your own story. Because you're not just going to be like shaped by every wind of thought that comes through. You're not just going to accept everything at face value. You're going to take the time to understand what you believe and why, and you're going to be able to stand for something. And I think that's what we need is we need people who are willing to stand uh, for something uh, bigger than just you. If these narrative 101s have been helpful for you, then I want to encourage you um, to consider uh, what we offer with all things narrative. In the new year, I'm going to really be... Uh, offering these, you know, live a meaningful story, the coaching program and offering workshops and different things uh, virtually. So if you're out there and you're not in the South Florida area and you're like, man, when do, when is it my time? When do I get to really connect with Derek and these ideas? And I just want to tell you that, that it's almost here. And so just stay up to date with all things narrative. You can go on our website and we have a mailing list. And that's really where I'm going to try to keep people up to date between social media so if you're not you know if you're not already following us on there definitely please do so website email list um, and I just definitely want to uh, be able to offer this to wherever you are at um, and maybe you do need a bit of deconstruction but you don't want to do it alone all things narrative would love to journey with you but just let me preface and let you know that if we are going to deconstruct together, it is my hope and encouragement that we will also reconstruct together. And that is exactly what I will challenge you to do. Because if we just tear everything down and what are we left to stand on? We're standing on ashes and rubble and brokenness. But deep down, I think we're longing to be made whole. And that's what uh, I want to help you do in terms of narrative and story. So thank you so much for being here. The All Things Narrative podcast. Uh, next week, I'll be back with the guys for our final episode of the year uh, before we go on a little break for the holidays. So thank you again. Check us out, allthingsnarrative.com. And please know that if you are deconstructing, uh, where whatever it is, doesn't have to just be faith. Know that you are not alone, that there are people out there um, that care about you and that will support you, um, through that. And all things there it is more than happy, uh, to help with that. So thank you so much. And until next time, take care.